0: Good morning. It's a pretty pregnant pause, isn't it? I mean, it's, you're all expecting me to start the sermon because it's time, right? Like I've been preparing for this all week. This is what happens in our service. It's time for the sermon. The fourth, the, the birth of our fourth child, Elliot, was this induced time, right? Like this, you expect the child to be born, but... Sarah needed to be induced for this child. And so when we went in and we just kind of thought the induction would be kind of like go time, right? And it wasn't. It was this painful time of laboring a painful pregnant pause before the miracle of our daughter Elliot. Today we're here at the end of a pregnant pause in the life of Jesus three years of public ministry now coming to a head when he comes to Jerusalem at the time of Passover, there is bated breath in the people who have been following the teacher Jesus, and it's all coming to fruition in this week. And it's my belief that we are at the end of a pregnant pause in this church, too, Jesus has been with child, with us, and he's ready to give birth to something profound in this community. Today is Palm Sunday, 2023. Palm Sunday is the time where when Jesus returns, we saw with palm branches being waved, he's being ready to be received as a king. But it's also the Passover, and so this is a a time where he's coming not just as king, but he's coming as a sacrifice. So that's one part of today. But the other part of today is that this is the end of our Our Father prayer series with the line, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we have an intersectionality today. Palm Sunday, the end of this prayer that Jesus, Jesus taught us how to pray. And as I prayed over this, like, what is, the, what is the overlap? What is the thing that is, like, crossing these two moments today? And the Lord kept speaking to me, time. Time. Not Kronos Time the time that seems to rule our lives, (laughs) the in and the out, the sun and the moon, like all of that just ongoing. That's not the time that he's talking about. He's talking to me and talking to us today about Kairos time, Kairos time. That's the time that is uh, appointed by the Lord. It is an opportune moment or season like harvest time or time for the child to be born. This kind of time is talked about twice as much in Scripture as Kronos time. There's something special about this time. There's something special, the Kairos moment when Jesus returns to Jerusalem. There's something special about this moment in the life of Bethany North. The Lord has appointed this time for us. So the questions came to mind when is the time for salvation right? When is the season for a spiritual harvest ripe? When is it time to be delivered from evil into the hands of a loving king? Let's, let's just talk real quickly about, about Palm Sunday. Let's talk about what is happening on this day when Jesus rides into Jerusalem. See, this is, this is a triumphal entry of a king, but the palm branches were a sign of rebellion. So we have these people that are standing on the streets waving these palm branches at, at Jesus, the prophet, the, the contested teacher, And they're saying, we want you to be king, even though Caesar is our king. We want you to be our king. He is, Jesus is coming to Jerusalem for his coronation. He's coming to receive his crown of thorns. You see, usually an annunciation and a coronation go hand in hand. But there was a three-year gap between his coming coronation and his annunciation his annunciation happened at his baptism remember where once he was baptized and came up a voice from heaven the father speaking over him you are my son i am well pleased with him right both of those lines are references to the old testament you are my son is psalm 2 it's where god is announcing his true king And when it says, in him I am well pleased, that's a reference to Isaiah 42. It's where he's talking about, God is talking about his true servant, who he will pour his spirit out upon. And what happens at his baptism? The spirit of God comes down in the form of a dove and rests on him, empowering him for true ministry, empowering him in his humanity to do works of God. Even though he was God, it demonstrates that the Spirit empowers the human to do powerful works on behalf of the Lord. So we see that he comes as a king, announced and coronated to be our king, to lead us in a way that we didn't expect him to. We didn't expect him to come as a Passover lamb. Remember, Passover is where it's the celebration of God doing miraculous things to free the Hebrews from Egyptian slavery, right? And the last thing he says is he says, slaughter a one-year-old unblemished lamb, put its blood on your doorposts, and the, the, uh, the spirit will go over you and will not take the lives of your firstborn. Ironically, it was the firstborn of Pharaoh whose death initiates the salvation of the Hebrew people. Jesus comes as that. They would parade in one-year-old lambs into Jerusalem for the Passover, and they would put the palm branches on the ground so their feet wouldn't get soiled and muddied. And that's how Jesus comes. He comes as the Passover lamb to become the king that would give himself for all people. Now, I don't want to go too far into this. Um, Last year, I kind of expounded a lot on what the triumphal entry looks like and all the dynamics there. If you want to check that sermon out, this is one of my favorite sermon titles ever. Uh, (laughs) Stockholm Syndrome. How to fall out of love with your captors and in love with your Savior. So if you want a a deeper dive into what's happening on Palm Sunday, I would encourage you to check that sermon out. This year, I want to focus on The scene that comes right after that. The scene that was read for us today where Jesus goes out and he sees a fig tree in leaf but not in fruit and he curses it. And then he goes straight from there back to the temple and finds what is normal to find and he starts going, flipping over. So I want to talk about that today because this further defines the reign of Jesus Christ as king in our lives. Okay, so, like, I think the, uh, it can be missed because it is confusing. In the literal sense, it doesn't make sense what Jesus does. To curse this tree and go into the, and we'll talk about that. It, it's just, it doesn't make, there's something happening deeper. There's kind of more of a metaphorical, mysterious kind of action here that Jesus is taking to define what it means his kingship is going to mean in the lives of the people that accept him. So Jesus curses this fig tree. It says he withers it to the roots when he comes to see if there's fruit on it. And the, the interesting detail here is it says it wasn't the time for fruit. <laughs> it wasn't the time for fruit. So why is Jesus looking for fruit on a tree when it's not the season for that fruit? Well, you see, the fig tree is synonymous with the nation of Israel. It is, it is a symbol of the Israelite people as a people, as God's people, and as a nation. And so Jesus is kind of nonsensical, kind of why, you know going over to, to look for fruit when it's not time for fruit, has more depth to it when we look at it metaphorically. Because he, at the same time he's looking at this tree, that he knows doesn't have fruit, he's also returning to Jerusalem, a place that he knows does not have fruit. A people who are supposed to be bearing out fruit for the world, they are all glitter and glam, but when he gets in there and he's looking for fruit in the people, he finds none. He finds no fruit. You know, it's interesting that the only tree... In Eden, that is named is a fig tree. There are only three humans that were born sinless Adam, Eve, and Jesus. Adam goes to the fig tree after sinning, looking for leaves. But Jesus, the second Adam, he comes looking for fruit. He desires and expects to see fruit in the tree. He's not looking for leaves to cover up his sin. He's looking for fruit to bear out what the Lord wants to do in his people. You see, Israel is supposed to be this fruit for the world. And over many, many centuries of trying, they do not become that. They become the law. They do not become the spirit or fruit of God. And so Jesus withers and he, he curses and he withers this tree down to the roots. And in the later scene that we don't have read for us here, but he comes back and the, and the uh, disciples see it. And they acknowledge and recognize that he spoke a curse over it and that it was dead. So after he curses the tree, he takes his disciples and he goes to the temple, and he sees there what would be a very commonplace scene to see, because the sacrificial system is still at play, right? People, the, the, the people of God are still following the law that came down from Moses. They are still sacrificing animals for their sins and so forth, and so it would be common in what was called the Court of the Gentiles, which was uh, a a space for all people, not just the uh, Jewish people, but for Gentiles as well, all people. And so, uh, in this court, there are uh, stalls where people are selling birds and animals and other kinds of things that could be purchased to be be taken in for the sacrifice. It is a common scene that Jesus would would have seen before. So, Again, it doesn't make sense why he would go in there and now this time flip over the tables and drive everybody out with a whip. It doesn't make sense unless we push a little bit deeper to understand what he might be communicating. You see, the temple was established to house God's presence, right? It was the when they were in the desert and they had the tabernacle and they're moving all over the place, they'd reset it up so that The presence of God could come. And then the temple was built and established, and then that was the expectation that that's where God's presence would be. And the sacrificial system was the means to have access to God's presence uh, and providence, his blessing in your life. So you go and you make sacrifice at the place where God's presence is, and if it's pleasing, God's presence will come with you. This is the temple. But the temple has now been marred by having these money changers and people making profit off of God's law, profit off of the, the direction and that God would give his people to come and make recompense with him, to, to, to make things right, to have this connection. Now they're making profit off of this command. And Jesus does not want to have it anymore. So he flips over these tables, he's driving these people out, and it literally says that he stayed there with his disciples until nightfall. They basically were keeping guard, right? I mean, it's so intense. You don't, you don't necessarily think of Jesus like this, but, you know, it's not like he's just having a bad day. He, right, he's not just, he's not just cursing things and driving people out. It's all happening coincide with his return to Jerusalem, you see? Israel is no longer going to be considered the chosen people that God's forgiveness and blessing is going to come through. The temple and the sacrificial system are no longer going to be the means to to getting right with God or allowing God's love and care and providence to come through. He's going to tear down the temple, right? He's going to remove these things, and it's going to, uh huh. yes, ma'am. Thank you. you. brought me a stick? Okay. You going to go back with mom? You going to stay with me? I shouldn't have given up. Dang it. That's a parent fail. You, will you give this back to mom? Go give it back to mom? Okay, you stand here then. So the timing is perfect. He is intentionally tearing these things down, cursing these things to the root The representation of Israel, of God's presence in the temple, and all these things. He is now saying, I have come to become Christ and Savior, to become all in all. You may not understand these things now, but when you understand that there is a deeper purpose to these things, you will understand that I am all in all Christ and Savior. You see, there is a time and a season for everything, A time for cursing, a time for blessing, a time for tearing down, and a time for building up, as it says in Ecclesiastes 3. John 12, 23, Jesus says this to his disciples, the time has come for the human one, the son of man, to be glorified. It is time, not Kronos time, it is Kairos time for the son of man to be glorified. And It is also time for Jesus to curse the fruitlessness of Israel and tear down the sacrificial system because God had a purpose and a plan for that moment that he had been waiting to execute. And I believe that it is time for this church to receive and live into its full inheritance its king in Christ has earned for us on the cross and sent us fire from heaven, it's time for a season of harvest in this church. Because wherever the king is, that's where the kingdom is. So I want to ask, is the king among us today? Come on. Is the king among us today? Is his spirit available to us? Yes, it is. The time is right for a harvest of the Holy Spirit in this church. We are, like I said at the beginning, Jesus is pregnant with us, waiting to give birth to what he's been holding on to in this missional community. I love, I love that we have been on mission, kind of almost a nomadic people for the last 11 years. That may change in the, in the season to come. But understand this, that he has been preparing us He has been preparing us to allow to receive the blessing of the Spirit of God that gives the fruit that the world wants to eat. The world wants to eat the fruit that the Spirit bears out in each one of our lives. If we are branches that are grafted onto the vine and we can be receptive to His Spirit, then we can bear out fruit that we can't even imagine that will change the city on its face we got to be open to receive it. we got to be open to it. So where do we get this idea of Kairos time? Okay, this, this idea of fruitfulness and harvest. I actually find it in this line in the Lord's Prayer. Okay, so I've been reading this book, Prayers of the Cosmos. Um, it is basically a reflection on Jesus. I know, sorry, this is so distracting. Uh-oh, here comes mommy. There she is oh, she's got something for you. Yes <laughs> See you can see she's the one that's really synced into the parenting. <laughs> Prayers of the cosmos this is this is basically a reflection on Jesus's words, uh, the Lord's Prayer, in Aramaic, okay so there are two significantly authoritative texts that the Bible is built off of. In the West, it is a 4th century manuscript that is written primarily in Koine Greek. Uh, In the East, it's a 5th century manuscript that is primarily written in Aramaic. Profound. There are these, uh, they're they're basically a ton the same, but there's these little nuanced differences. And especially as you get into the language, right? Like Greek and Latin are built uh, for like premise and conclusion. That's kind of, they're built for like almost arguing, Uh, where Aramaic is a very wide open. It's it's like a a language that has to be felt. There's actually even an emphasis on how words are said and to have these wide and poetic and beautiful meanings that speak to the internal and the external life both at the same time. It's really powerful and beautiful. And as I looked at and considered the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic, it kind of made me realize that Jesus' words have depth to them. They have a literal meaning and a metaphorical meaning, and they have like a both like a cosmic and a universal meaning. It's very powerful. So as we think about Kairos time and fruitfulness, it kind of comes out of this line. And so I'm going to have the slide put up that kind of puts the lines side by side here. So, "Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil" is the end of the Lord's prayer, and kind of side by side you have the uh, this. Potential uh, interpretation from the Aramaic that says, but break the hold of unripeness, the inner stagnation that prevents good fruit. Mm. There's, there's depth there. So like what, what the Aramaic translation is trying to kind of get at is that the, the temptation that we feel, the, the, the evil that we feel is this sense of unripeness or the thing that keeps us from bearing out good fruit. So we see that, we, we, we know we feel that temptation, we know we feel the evil around us, but what is that? How do we get at that? And I, th- I feel like the Aramaic kind of opens up the ideas here to allow for us to see that we all have fruit to bear, but the temptation is to be unripe. The temptation is to Allow some stagnation to, to set in so that the good fruit doesn't actually bear out, which is evil, which is actually the evil. So we see that the, on the face of it, the literal meaning here of, these, of this text, of these, of these words of Christ, is that we're tempted to work and to bless only for our benefit. We, we all know what that is, that, that self-preservation, Right? That is, that's, the, that's the literal kind of uh, uh, thing that is being identified here. It's like, don't, don't just go into yourself. That, that on its face, is, is going to make you unfruitful when you're, when you're into self-preservation and just taking care of yourself. Don't let us be deluded by the surface of life, but neither let us become so inward and self-absorbed that we cannot act simply and humanly at the right time. But well, there's a metaphorical meaning here, going a layer deeper. And the way I read it is that we're all trees that can bear fruit. We are all trees that can bear fruit. We can be delivered by a Savior and bear good fruit. We can be tempted and give in and bear bad fruit. Or we can just simply delude ourselves and bear no fruit at all. I think there's even one layer deeper here. This this cosmic universal kind of interpretation of these break the hold of unripeness, the inner stagnation that prevents good fruit. And it's this. There is one source on which all good fruit is born from. And there are many sources that are spoken about in our in our context, right, in our communities, all around us, the flattening of what is particular. We all, there is this desire that all things are truth and not all things are truth. And the universal, powerful message of what Jesus is saying here is that there is one source for good fruit. That is the Father in heaven to which Jesus is the only way. And he says, I want you to pray to the Father in heaven who will bear out good fruit. And anybody who prays to this Father, he is going to be available to. Our God is universally available to everybody. But he's only particularly accessible through Jesus Christ. So we see that through all these levels of meaning... That the result of giving oneself to evil is that you're an unfruitful tree. That's what I would kind of draw from the comparison of these two texts. Is that when we give ourselves over to evil, we know it by the fruit or the lack thereof. Let me speak a little bit to evil here. I want to say just a few things that kind of help us get some context. I don't want to go a deep dive into this because the devil doesn't deserve that much attention, okay? But we we need to be informed. The Lord wants us to be informed enough so that we can be aware of the schemes of the evil one and lean into the goodness and the provision of the Lord and the Holy Spirit to overcome them. Amen? There is no pure form of evil. Some, you know, you kind of get that in movies, right? You kind of get that in The Exorcist, right? Like there's like this pure evil that is like, you know, evil incarnate or something like that. There is no pure form of evil, okay? Like darkness is the absence of light, so evil is the absence of goodness. Where light and goodness are present, darkness and evil, they recede, okay? The evil one is not some pure form of evil and is not God's counterpart. There is not some kind of yin, yin, yang, cosmic, ongoing battle between God and the... The, the, the evil one is not God's counterpart. We already see in Revelation that God has the victory, right? We already see that. So how, how do we actually conceive of the evil one? Well, the evil one was a good creation of God's in the beginning, an angel of the highest order that had a desire, had a desire to become God, had a desire to overcome God, And be God himself, convinced many towards this end, but all were cast out by God and cast down. And the evil one's identity was taken. Okay? We see this because the evil one actually doesn't have a name. The evil one is only known in scripture by attributes. So the word word devil isn't actually the name of the devil, of the evil one, it means tempter. Satan in Hebrew means adversary. Lucifer in Latin means morning star. Bazilabub means a lord of flies. All these names that we see, these names that we see in scripture are not actually names of the evil one, but is rather just just attributes of this one that, we would, that has fallen and has a desire to twist good. So again, the evil one is a person, but is not this pure form of evil and only twists what is good, only twists what is good. So he has no name, not like the Lord that we serve who is the name above all names, right? That's why that line is actually important. Because the name above all names is the name of the Savior, Jesus Christ, who is over and above the nameless one, who only wants to twist what's good. The evil one has no children. He's only the father of lies. He's only the father of lies. His only goal is to make us unfruitful trees. He wants to twist He wants to lie. He wants to chatter at you in your head endlessly. He wants to shame you. He wants you to feel unsure of whether you have received a healing from the Lord. He wants you to question in front of your friends that don't believe whether you should be ashamed of that or not. He wants you to walk around so consumed by what he, he might be around every single corner, that you forget to look for the blessing of the Lord, to call upon his name, to be open to his Holy Spirit, to claim and name that Jesus is the Son of God. He wants you to question that all the time so that the fruit that you bear is either bad or not at all. And his main tactic is isolation. It's easier to lie to a person in isolation than in a group. And that's why it is profoundly important that we become and maintain being a grove of trees, a neighborhood that is interlinked through the, Peter, where are you? Mycelium? Is that what it is? Yes. The mycelium network under the ground that connects trees, mushrooms, all these things, and actually helps them not just communicate with each other, but share resources to live That's what we gotta be. We gotta be a grove of trees. That's why we can't be preoccupied by talking about the devil. We should be occupied by talking about the works of the Holy Spirit in and among our our community to share testimony, to share about the ways the Lord has worked in our lives because that is the work of God John 6, 29 says this, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent, that is Jesus. Our whole work here is not for me to stand up here and guilt you, because that is easy. That's why we're here. We feel like sinners. It's easy to guilt people in church. The difficult part is, the difficult part is to help you feel loved, to help you know and walk out of here believing that there is a God that is both universal and particular and is here, and he loves you. He loves you, and he died for you. Even though we were were sinners, he still died for us to show you how much he loves you. That's the work that we're doing here, is walking out of this space believing that the king of the world, the king of the cosmos would come and live in our suffering reality and die for us because he loves us that much to give you access to the Father. It is time. It is ripe for a harvest of the Holy Spirit in this church. A couple years ago, I had a New Year's resolution, as we all do, to go on a diet. (laughs) (laughs) And I knew I had to prep first because, you know, bad habits and all. So uh, I did the detox lemonade. Folks familiar with that? So if you're not familiar with it, it's like a mix of water, lemon juice, honey, and cayenne pepper put it all together and you drink it, I'll tell you what, I felt cursed. I felt cursed, right? After a few days of, as my grandpa would say, talking to a man about a coyote, um, I, felt, I felt cleansed, right? Like I felt, re- I, I felt ready. I, even though I felt cursed at first, I felt ready for what was to come. And that's the power of this scene that we're talking about today, kind of coming to a close here, is that there is power in what the Lord wants to curse, and what he wants to cleanse because he has a blessing in store for you. Our Father is inherently good. And the only thing he wants to curse or cleanse are the things that are killing you, okay? He wants to bring to a good death, leading to Good Friday, a good death to the things that are collectively killing us. Uh, I had a whole different kind of ending here as I was coming here this morning, and I marked it all out (laughs) because I felt like the Lord wanted me to share something personal with you. You see, when I came to faith in 2004, the Lord needed to extricate me from all kinds of things in my life, the things in my life that I had no idea were killing me. He had he extricated me out of uh, friendships that were harmful, a romantic relationship that was shameful. My family life in that moment was too much to bear, and he extricated me out of that. I think when I came to saving faith, he said, "Follow me," and I came from Southern California up here to Seattle. And I was like a sponge because of everything that I had been taken away from me, I was ready to know what was going to be given to me. And extrication is not the answer always of what the Lord wants to do. I just want to say that. But it kind of came to, it kind of helped me understand a later season because by that time, I was, I was just ready and just so thankful that the Lord saw me in my plight and my struggles and, and having no answers for my life at that point, and he lifted me out of the mire and he set me on some solid ground with solid friends, a solid relationship, understanding that the Lord loves me and has a plan for my life. And I want to say, if this morning, if I'm speaking to you now, if you don't know, that you know, that you know that Jesus is your Savior, that he loves you, that he forgives you, that he has a plan for your life, please come see a prayer minister this morning. After, after we, we, they come up, Be bold. The Lord wants to heal, he wants to save, he wants you to know that he loves you. He extricated me, he healed me, he, he grew me, <laughs> and then he gave me the baptism of his Holy Spirit. When I was in seminary, as a class, we, we went out afterwards to, uh, to someone's home and we prayed and and in that space, I, I experienced the power of the Holy Spirit like a waterfall in me. And all of a sudden, I'm speaking in tongues. And I, I know that's not for everybody here. I mean, I, I, there, I know there's things to that. But that, that's how I knew in that moment that something significant had been given to me. And by his spirit, um, he was preparing me. He was preparing me for... A, uh, a crucible because it was after seminary that I became a pastor and a father at the same time and it felt like I was being I was like candle being burnt for both sides and it was overwhelming in so many ways and he wasn't extricating me from that he had called me into that but he had given me his Holy Spirit in such a way that I understood that there are gifts and there is power when you trust in God and trust the Spirit to come and work through you. So in the hardest time in my life, he wasn't, he wasn't pulling me out. He was saying, stay in there. Show up. Choose to show up every day. And I will show up in and through you. I'm your king. I will give you what you need. Just call out upon me in your weakness. He actually has s- healed me and helped me grow, although not, like, just helped me grow in giving up pride and lust and control and anger only by his Holy Spirit. And I had this fundamental fear that, that God would not be good to me. If I, if I, like, trusted myself to him, he would not be good to me. He would take advantage of me. He would call me to crazy things. But what I've learned is that And what he's told me is just come and taste and see that I am good. Don't just knowledge your way to me. Encounter me. Let me encounter you. And I believe that the Lord in this time needs to kill some bad stock in this church, right? In this season ahead. He doesn't do it to judge. He doesn't do it to harm. He does it because he has a blessing in store for each one of us in this new season, we have change coming up. I'm leaving. I'm preparing to like, trust the Lord in a whole new way. We're going for the right reasons, but I don't even have a, have a role over there. But I know the Lord will provide by his spirit. And he's calling us in this season of change to trust him in a whole new way. He's calling us to let him pull pull this right out of the ground, and don't worry about the mess that it's gonna make in your life. We got a vacuum. It's okay. The Lord who goes to the cross to receive his, thorn of, his crown of thorns, by this, he wants to put to death the unfruitful stock in the life of this church so he can pour his spirit out in a vessel that's ready to receive it, a vessel that's ready to pour out and give. Bear out good fruit, right? He wants, to, he wants you to be hungry and thirsty for him because in the season ahead, that his spirit is the only thing that's going to satisfy. He doesn't want you to be hungry for knowledge of him. He wants you to have an encounter with him, so that will satisfy. He wants you to be ready for what he is going to do. And to do that, he needs to put to death some bad stock. John 15:5 says I am the vine you are the branches if you remain in me and I in you you will produce much fruit but without me you can't produce anything So as the band comes back up I want you to pull out your card there's a couple cards in there today. I want you to pull out the response card. Today, we are not gonna come forward to return these response cards as we typically do. Today, you're gonna hold on to this card. So if you don't wanna write on it right now, okay, take it home. But I want you to plan to bring it back to the Good Friday service. And I want you to pray on these questions. What does God want to wither to the roots in this church so we can be a fruitful branch grafted to Jesus, the true vine? I want you to consider from not a personal perspective, but from a perspective of the church. As you consider us as a grove of trees with that mycelium connected, what is it that we need to put, let Jesus wither to the roots and pull up in us? so that we can be ready to bear his good fruit. And that second question is, is, is like it. What fruit are we uniquely poised to bear for the community around us? God has developed and, and, and grown us in specific ways. And we have a unique means to bear out the witness of Jesus Christ to this community. So what is that? Let's not try and be everything. Let's try and be the thing that Jesus has, has tended us to be. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you. Praise you. Praise you, Father. For the ways that you love us and are good to us. You sent us your one and only son. He sent us the Holy Spirit. We have the capacity for beautiful things. Lord God, what do you want to do here? Have your way. We say we love you, we say Hosanna, we say we're ready for a savior, and we want this king to do what it is good and pleasing for him to do, so he can pour out the blessing that you have in place for us. So Lord God, move in the hearts of this church and this people, this community, I believe you have readied for a harvest a harvest of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would do your work in them this week as they consider what you want us to let you put to death and what is it you want to bear out for this community. Do your work and will, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.